Welcome to. Hey guys, guess what? 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 This is our one year anniversary. Really? Has it been a year already? You know what we should do? Uh, quit? Well, well, yes. Throw a party? Sure. But first, what if we take another whack at that Harry Potter episode? Uh, yes. Okay, let's do it. Wait, now? Why not? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because we had planned on discussing Citizen Kane tonight? That movie's going to be just as boring next week as it is this week. Fine, whatever. So we're good? Sure. Excellent. Now, where was I? Welcome to Is It Really? The podcast that challenges popular opinions about movies. I'm Brandon Sharp. I'm Zach Smith-Michaels. And I'm Mitch Dupree. And tonight we're ditching the question and doing our second long-form episode on a set of movies that are very near and dear to our hearts, the Harry Potters. Mitch, why don't you give us the synopsis for the Harry Potter film franchise? Harry's an ordinary boy living in the cupboard underneath the stairs in his aunt and uncle's house. That's normal, right? All right, to get things started, let's ask a couple of quick questions just to see where you guys stand on some of these hotly debated topics. Which house do you belong to? I think back to when Brandon and I talked about this and he said, I took the quiz so I could be a Gryffindor. That's how he based his answers. You cheated. I remember that. You cheated. But I'm a real Gryffindor, which I feel is the most boring house where, to quote Tom Felton in an interview, they said, what house would you be in in real life? And he goes, Slytherin, because it's the only house where you get to have any fun. Like Gryffindor, you have to be too good. You have to be a goody two-shoes. You know, the other houses, too many rules. Whereas Slytherin, you know, eh, it's a little more loosey-goosey. You can kind of do what you want. If we know anything about the sorting hat, your opinion matters. Not on BuzzFeed, it doesn't matter, I'll tell you. Yeah, the Sorting Hat knows more about your heart than a quiz on a clickable website book. Whatever. I'm just saying. All right, I'm Hufflepuff, the best house, because it's for kind people. Hufflepuff does get dragged through the mud. He gets dragged through the mud. Also like Cedric Diggory, who is a hero. So absolutely. In Twilight. Well, I feel like I identify the most with Ravenclaw. I've always been more of a cerebral individual, shy away from the limelight. If ever possible. What is that not vibe with? No, I like your... it. I was going to Z- say Zach's I was... making faces, though. I was <laughs> yes, the main host of this of this podcast for one episode. And then Brandon <laughs> said, you know what? I'm going to change my house. <laughs> now I am. <laughs> I heard the first episode and I was like, eh, I better handle it from here. <laughs> I better step that's into not, the limelight. That is not that's, how it went that's down. That's as slithering as it gets, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> no, we should. Brandon, otherwise known as Voldemort. <laughs> All right. So maybe the house, the house you b- would belong to isn't a hotly debated topic, but the best Deathly Hallow is. Yes. There we go. Uh-huh. I'm going to let you guys all go first. <laughs> because we all wanted the invisibility cloak and Brandon got Which it is out the of best. technicality. <laughs> no, 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 no. And we fought for several hours on this. I I don't feel like that's how it went down. The, Our the invisibility was cloak tested for two hours while we fought <laughs> on who got the invisibility cloak. I I have a very different memory of how this went down. I, this must have been it was emotional. Was going on over text. You want to remember? It was, was emotional. <laughs> that's right. You're rewriting history, but all right. Were you guys upset? Was no, this? I'm, I'm kidding. Here's I'm what kidding. I'll say. I wrote in my notes first. Yeah, first. that I wanted it, but I know. wasn't under the impression that. We had to choose different ones. I wasn't under the impression that we all had to take. That's why. Well, if we're fighting, there's only one. I didn't know we were fighting. There's only one. There's only one of each. I didn't know we were fighting on these. That's why I I chose the invisibility cloak. And I looked at Zach's. I was like, he's got it. I want it, too. And (laughs) (laughs) I also want it. (laughs) I figured Mitch would say. Being uh, a true Slytherin, I take what I want. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, if we 
follow along with the the tale of the three brothers, just based on that alone, the invisibility mm-hmm. cloak wins, which has to play into our view of the Deathly Hallows. Yeah, I guess. I just feel like they don't use the Hallows correctly in the movies. I think the Elder One is the best if you know how to use it and you're not sure. Dumb. But I think it's tied directly to like a power hungry, greedy monger. You know what it is? It's like in Lord of the Rings, if you're a dumb king and you have the ring, you're going to die on a horse in the first. Yeah, right. If you're Sauron, you're going to use it to rule all of Middle Earth. And, and I'm yeah. Sauron in our I'm going to use the other one. Well, with power and no one will <laughs> overthrow me. Well, listen, I live in New York and you know, what's really popular is people selling stones, people selling diamonds, <laughs> people selling things to make a lot of money. So I'm going to take that stone because I know that it only makes things worse. It drives you crazy. It makes you nuts. And I am going to go to a very classy pawn shop in the city and I'm selling that stone and I'm going to leave there a rich man. So you guys can have fun with your uh, with your cloaks, which eventually, you know, you're going to have to take it off and say, all right, let's let's go die death. And that elder wand, you know, someone can just extract it from you. We saw how easily Malfoy disarmed old Dumbledore. But, you know, I I sell that stone and I can roll into Hogsmeade anytime. And let's be clear, Dumbledore <laughs> laid down his life. Of yes, he did. he laid it yes, down. he did. Yes, he did. I, I love he? that you have bottled immortality and your first thought is, I'm going to sell it at a pawn shop. For- <laughs> well, it doesn't work. That's, a, that's the thing about the Listen, stone. It doesn't work. You cannot watch Deathly Hallows Part 2 and say it does not work. It Harry, doesn't. who had zero relationship, never met his parents really, mm-hmm. got to talk to him before he faced his terribly when he hard needed them most too. you cannot say i th- i think my initial reaction is yes it's stupid that is the worst deathly hallow easily but for someone like harry he's had like the mirror of erised he's had the little glimpse during goblet of fire you know when his wand mm-hmm. connected with voldemort's and then he's had this little scene we get right before he goes to die yeah, I, I think if you've lost people in your life, the, yeah. that one is probably the most appealing for sure. I'm going to push back. I okay. think that having access to that stone frequently would lead to issues similar to the mirror. You would frequently be trying to use the stone to just relive these moments. I actually think the stone mm-hmm. having it for maybe more than for more time than Harry did. If you had that stone constantly in your possession, I feel like there's no way that it ends well. I feel like just the temptation is going to be too strong. It's going to be too much of an issue. So that's why I'm walking in to a Times Square pawn shop and I'm leaving (laughs) with some bucks. Zach's Zach's with Michaels, ladies and gentlemen. We need to move on to the next one, but you could say the same thing about the Elder Wand as well. You hold on to it too long, bad things are bound to happen. That's for anything that's powerful. Yeah, if you spend too much time invisible and yeah. you get addicted to that, you know, Gollum is the cautionary tale. Well, in your opinion, what is the best Harry Potter film? I think this question, it made more sense for us to split up and take different ones. One. Yeah. Sure, sure. Mitch, what did you say? I forget. I picked the Sorcerer's Stone because I really do feel like the foundation is laid in that movie. I think sure. the most memorable scenes are in that movie. If I close my eyes and think Harry Potter, I think of your wizard Harry. I think of him getting his wand. I think of him going into the Great Hall for the first time. Those are the big scenes. And I really do think that the Chris Columbus movies do the heavy lifting of just setting up the world, but also setting up the fantasy. And they're the ones that I find myself watching again and again, more so than the other ones. So they are my favorite, but especially the first one. I think that's easily a fact. The Chris Columbus movies do the heavy lifting with laying the foundation for Harry Potter. My favorite film is The Prisoner of Azkaban, and a movie like that would not have been possible without one and two coming before it laying the foundation. Mm -hmm. So it was able to 
hit those ghost notes, those irregular beats and mm-hmm. take more liberties mm-hmm. with the source material, be more creative. It was able to do all those things because you had one and two saying, this is how the movie is supposed to look. This is what a typical year, a typical life of a Hogwarts student is. Mm. Now let's say, you know, all those things already, we're going to take a little bit different path Mm. and change things up a little bit. I think also you have some of the most stunning visuals in prisoner of Azkaban. I think about the ceiling in the great hall when all the students are camping out in there, the ceiling is consistently visually stunning, but it's, it's, quite amazing in that scene in particular. Some of the scenes uh, after they use the time turner with a flashback and they get to watch the the werewolf take shape and just the full moon and all these things. The first time we had seen the Patronus spell being used until like its full capacity. And I think it, it handles the book. Sorry, I'm going on here, but I think it handles the yeah. book particularly well. As the series goes on, the books get longer and you really have to make a lot of hard choices with how you're going to lay out your movie, how you're going to direct your movie. I think Mm -hmm. prisoner, it's still like a semi short book. Mm -hmm. It's kind of in between Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to make some hard decisions. Like what do we cut? What do we keep? It's also a transitional movie into like we're growing up now. Mm -hmm. You've got one and two that are younger. Three is a transition into those adult themes. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about how, Harry Potter, for some people, that's these movies are like their Star Wars in a way. And I think that's really evident for me when I look at Prisoner of Azkaban. You know, you look at the original Star Wars movie that comes out and it does the heavy lifting. It introduces you to the characters, introduces you to the world. Now, when we get into Empire, we can just have fun. We can go nonstop. We can just be on this ride for two hours. And I think that's what Prisoner does. But I'm going to say I think the best Harry Potter film is Goblet of Fire. I actually think it's the perfect Harry Potter film because it takes itself seriously, but not too seriously. It's fun. It's scary. It hits some of those high school movie beats really well. You have the talented Robert Pattinson in it Mm -hmm. and you have Voldemort. I feel like pulling off Voldemort the way that they did is almost a miracle because you've been setting him up for three movies as the most scary evil in this world. And the minute he shows up on screen, you're just like, Oh, all of our fears are realized. He's as bad as they said. Yeah. Not to mention he's kind of not scary in the first two. Like when he's the talking neck in the first one and and the basilisk stuff in the second one, it's, it's really not that frightening for, Mm. for when he comes back in the fourth one, it is a huge tonal shift. Like this is what this is going to be now. And how lucky, no, not lucky, but how brilliant was it for them to cast Ray Fiennes as Voldemort? Mm. Yeah, it was, it was perfect. He's perfect in that role. He's a master. Plus you have, everyone who cut their teeth on the books thinking like this is a big moment for all of the readers oh yeah right. who are they going to get to play Voldemort how is he going to look mm-hmm. and then he comes to life and he is more terrifying mm-hmm. than really even the books are able to uh, make you believe he is yeah the design is amazing with those little slits for noses and just the way he comes together. I love that scene. Yeah. Like, you know, the the black evil just wrapping around him like a bathrobe. So cool. I really liked what you said about it being like a I feel like it's our Star Wars. It's our defining text of our generation. Like think for like people born, I don't know, 1988 through, I don't know, 95 or so. Like it was it was everything. Right. Uh, and that's right. why that's I think that's why I do gravitate so much to the Christopher Columbus movies, because I know that the the books and the movies aged. Right. And it aged with the audience. But I, I'm always going to associate Harry Potter, I think, as being a kid series. And yeah. a lot of my childhood was defined by things that I experienced through this franchise. So, like, I remember sure. like being a kid and wanting my letter. Right. Like moments like mm. that. And I think Mm -hmm. that that wouldn't have been as significant a discussion for children to be having or like such a moment in pop culture if the Christopher Columbus movie didn't nail those scenes so well. So, right. And I mean, I I, I'll put my cards on the table. I didn't grow up with Harry Potter. I didn't see these movies until I was an adult. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the movies were 
kind of so interesting that it made me want to go and read all of the books. Yeah. And I just really have an appreciation for Harry Potter. And also, you know, I'm a teacher now and kids are still talking about Harry Potter with like this level of reverence. Like it's not something that I feel is stuck to one generation. It's something that I feel is being passed down and is still just as exciting for kids now. Yeah, I think I think one thing to take away from what we've been saying is that there is something for everyone yeah. in the Harry Potter franchise. Personally, I saw Harry Potter for the first time in college. Mm-hmm. I hadn't read the books yet. Goblet of Fire was getting ready to come out. Saw that in, you know, on the big screen, IMAX. It was a huge movie. I loved it. Probably why it's right up there with Prisoner for me. But I think initially I'm like, okay, get these first couple of movies out of my way so I can get to the cool stuff. Because you're an adult when you're watching it. Yeah. You're exactly. Like exactly. That. Yes. And I think what what Harry Potter does exceptionally well is, yeah, initially I said, get these out of my way. But now I have this appreciation for Chamber of Secrets and for Sorcerer's Stone. You know, it makes me appreciate them so much more. And like the whole the whole franchise, the whole series is something special. Well, and I also think you have a generation that grew up with these books and these movies that are now having children of their own that now have something to share with them as like, you know, here's these books that I enjoyed when I was young or here's these movies that I liked when I was a kid. So I'm that's something that I'm excited about seeing carry over. Yeah, my uh, sister is a. English teacher and she brought up JK Rowling in one of her classes and you'd be surprised at how many high schoolers these days don't know who that is and mm-hmm. I think one student said oh yeah didn't he write some books or something and it just like <laughs> something like that would blow like would like blow my mind so yeah. I think what you're seeing is we're really at like a crossroads where right. Harry Potter fans are having kids but so are non Harry Potter fans and sure. so like the, the gap is yeah. getting bigger, you know, like there was a whole bunch yeah. of middle ground in the early 2000s. Uh, and I feel like feel like the gap is getting a little bigger now. Sure. It also yeah. feels a little dated sometimes when yeah. I watch it, because like I feel like the Harry Potter movies, I think the first one came out in 20, uh, 2001. It was that renaissance of like high fantasy stuff. It yeah. was like when we were getting Lord, Lord of, of the, the Rings. Rings and we were getting Chronicles of Narnia and all of these like Stardust and all these kind of high fantasy movies. Uh, <laughs> right. And I think <laughs> our, our cultural appetite has shifted from that now. So yeah. there are moments when sure. I'm watching these where I'm like, oh, this feels like of its time. That's a little mosquito and amber like Jurassic Park. Can I say, though, I absolutely love the fantasy era in film. Mm-hmm. It has got to be one of my favorites. Yeah, for sure. Are you talking about the fantasy era like the early 2000s? Like what Mitch was just talking about, yes. You know, Brandon, I hear what you're saying, and I love Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter too, but Narnia? Stardust? <laughs> lest we forget the Golden Compass? Um, <laughs> I wasn't allowed like to watch the Golden Compass. That was for there, non-Christians. There was a lot of a boom-boom that also... And I mean, you know, again, you have Lord of the Rings, maybe the greatest trilogy ever. Harry Potter, probably the most successful fantasy film franchise of all time. You also have a lot of chaff stuff. Yeah. I agree with that. I'm just saying that just feels like a hopeful time in film. You know, right. it, it is more of an escapism era. And that's what it is. It's escapism. It's post yes. 9-11 escapism. Yes. But, you know, I, I also think about and I mean, this isn't a very fair comparison, but I think about they've tried to bring both of these back in different ways. And that's the Hobbit and Fantastic Beasts. Now, granted, both of those are horrible. They're not good. But at the same time, I think people aren't as interested. Like, I don't think those are bringing war, bringing in new audiences. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, there's, there's not enough dabbing. I don't know what it would have taken to get like a Harry Potter sized audience to come see the Fantastic Beast movies. To me, it really felt like they were fishing in the wrong pond, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't even know how to quite explain it. It was never going to work really that that way. Right. The Harry Potter franchise is like a 
lightning in a bottle, perfect storm type right. scenario. Like it's, it was a phenomenon. And by definition, you can't recreate that. I feel like they were trying to tap into that residual. Like we, there's still some, there's still some magic here. We can, there's still something to be had. I just don't think like, I think it was a great thing that cannot be marveled to death, you know, just like, just leave it alone. To be clear, like the residuals on a Harry Potter are still hundreds of millions, right? It just isn't the entire world anymore. There was, there was a, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hugely successful still, right? But it isn't Harry Potter, which I think is what you're saying, right? Like there was a a year, like a couple years where everyone on the bus and every like adult and child was reading Harry Potter books. Like no matter where you went, they were just omnipresent. And I really don't think that there's even a comparable franchise in my lifetime that really has had an impact like that. Like I thought of Game of Thrones, but it really is not. It's just not as large uh, as yeah. Harry Potter. It was yeah, it Game of everyone. Thrones isn't for everyone. It's not for kids. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there really just hasn't been anything like it. I think. I think one thing that you can point at with the Fantastic Beast movies, something we at least the readers are acutely aware of, is the duel to end all duels between Dumbledore and Grindelwald. Now, like personally, when I heard about. Fantastic Beasts. And then, you know, we got the second one, Crimes of Grindelwald. I'm like, oh, we're getting that duel. You know, and I heard we got Jude, nope. with Jude Law coming up as nope. playing Dumbledore. I was like, oh, we're going to see but a duel. You also have David Yates directing. So, nope. <laughs> and I think, I think like maybe I keep, I keep seeing these movies to, I, I really want to see that duel. Like, but that's it. You know, like that's all I know. I keep looking for things that I recognize from the original yes. franchise. And then they're very few. The, the things are very, they're very few and far between. Right. There's a saying that I love and it doesn't really apply to Harry Potter that much, but it's great trilogies come in three. And I would say of <laughs> yeah, Harry Potter. It doesn't apply to Harry Potter it, at all. It doesn't. <laughs> but, but I think what that saying is like when it's time to stop, it's time to stop. Yeah. And I think with Harry Potter, with the eight film, universally, we could all tell it's time to stop. It's like this is done. This was an, a fantastic journey that we got to go on. Now we're done. And I think that's why Fantastic Beasts is, you know, like not exciting to people because we're done. We're done now. We're good. Yeah. Well, instead of going film by film, like we did the first time, we have decided to discuss the film series through the lens of themes. Mm. You guys ready? Yeah. Yeah. So making friends is arguably one of the best things about going to Hogwarts. Where do we see themes of loyalty and friendship play out throughout the series? I would just say that it's it's such a huge part of the series. It's so woven into every scene. Harry is incapable of doing anything without Ron and Hermione at his side. They're they're mm-hmm. never really separated. But I, I feel like, again, we've hit on like uh, the impact these movies and books had on our childhood. I really learned a lot as a kid about the value of friendship. I think the how we get to choose our family. Like a big element is the fact that Harry, when he goes back to the muggle world, is completely alone. His real family is when he's back at Hogwarts. So I think that these these movies really cemented a lot of positive uh, aspects of friendship for me. I don't disagree with anything that you just said, Mitch. <laughs> However, to one be clear. of the most. Well, yeah, to <laughs> but be clear. here come the disagreements. <laughs> well, one of the most frustrating <laughs> things about the the series and more so in the movies than in the, than in the books just because i've seen the movies more it frustrates me how they deal with hermione is in that like either ron or harry one of the two has to end up with her anytime she's with someone else it's like she's done some horrible horrible thing and i'm like hey they couldn't just be friends like they couldn't just be three platonic friends like it has to end like she's only of value if it ends in romance like that bothers me. I think though for a minute you have to 
put yourself in their shoes and maybe like like not judge the movie as a movie, but judge it like as a real life situation. If you've got your little trio and you're in high school or you're in middle school, you're developing feelings for your female friends in some shape or form, whether it's like romantic feelings or like just strong attachment, you're developing feelings. And when she starts making eyes at the Scandinavian invaders. <laughs> you mean, do you mean the guy who's nice to her and treats her with respect? Show some respect. His name is Victor Crumb and he's a world renowned Quidditch player. So yeah, all of these things are true. I still say these things happen. Yeah, you get a little jealous. I don't think it needed to end with her ending up with one of the two of them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think you can have the idea of you grow up with these people. Eventually you try to work out what your feelings are. I don't think it was imperative that she ends up with one of them. And that was such a huge thing for a long time. Like, oh, who's it going to be? It's going to be Harry and Hermione, I bet. Well, I don't think that was a conversation I was having because the books are more clear than the movies that Harry right, and, right. Uh, and Hermione are not a thing. Harry's the movies. Cool. The movies make the them movies best friends. That's what that. I'm talking about. That's right. They're the, best friends in the movies. Yeah. Uh, which I hate. Team Edward, Team Jacob stuff was bleeding over into this. Like it was all happening at the same time, if you remember. Yes. Uh-huh. And like yeah. this, this was solely based on like film audience, not like the, not like the story. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with the idea that you're getting across, Zach, that you can have friendships that aren't, you know, inevitably going to become romantic, but I don't have an issue with the fact that some friendships do blossom into romance. I think that's fine. I think this is a fraught discussion because JK Rowling has been like, should have ended up with Harry. I think after the fact, many years later, now it's become an aggravated discussion because it's framed as she was going to end up with someone all along. Well, I think it's Mm -hmm. the fact that she ends up with Ron for in the movies, just out of nowhere because, well, she's got to be with somebody. Yeah, it's very quick in the eighth movie where Ron like has one line where he says, yeah, you said this one thing last year and she, yeah. it's way overplayed. She's like, you listened to me? Like, that's the sun. <laughs> like, uh, they're kissing 10 minutes later. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Right. And, it's, and again, I'm not talking about the books. I'm talking about I think that that element is not handled properly in the films. The romances stink. And yeah. these, let's be clear, the Ginny stuff in the book and the movie is awful. Uh, though Ginny is cooler in the book because she's more tomboyish in the movie. The most romantic scene we get is your shoelaces untied at nighttime. Like it's super. <laughs> she is just the there's one YouTube account I saw that called her like a beige dish rag of a character. And I, I, <laughs> I that's do, terrible. I But I do feel that way. The romances in these movies are not good. Yeah, I think it was an attempt to pair Harry up. And Ginny is way cooler of a character in the books. Bonnie Wright is great. She's fine. She's just not like she has like 50 percent of the personality that Jenny Weasley in the book has. Well, she also has like 10 lines in the movie, in all the movies. That's right. Which are all like, watch she, out, Harry. She Look shows up for you. a scene like in three movies. That's it. And right. I yeah. just don't buy that. He really likes her. Based yeah. On that. Yeah. Because like in the book, she's like she's, first of all, an extremely talented wizard. Right. A like a very capable Quidditch player. Like <laughs> yeah. she's snarky. She's got a good sense of humor, all these things. She's like a blast to be around Harry. Yeah, he right. is experiencing these. He's falling for this girl, but, and you understand why when you're yes. reading the books, you don't really understand why when you're watching the movie the whole time, like personally, like I know, I knew how these things were going to play out, but I'm watching the movie and I'm like hoping Harry ends up with Hermione. Like Ron takes off in the seventh movie. I'm like, all right, now's your chance. It's Christmas Eve and it's snowing and you're in a graveyard. You know, it's romantic. And the the dancing scene. How did you guys feel about the dancing scene in in the seventh movie? Uh, it's cute, and they're wearing very pleasant sweaters. But at the same time, I was like, this is its own movie. <laughs> yeah. I love. I loved it. I loved it. It gave me like hope for. It's- it's Harry a moment Hermione. of levity in a very, very boring movie, I think. Oh, good oh, night. Throwing flames. I'm with you there. I'm with you. Throwing, throwing flames. It's not a movie. It's not a movie. It's it is a, a movie. movie. It's not a movie. <laughs> I saw. So again, I never saw the, the Harry Potters as a kid in the theater. 
And right before Fantastic Beasts, they re-released a couple of them. And I said, oh, this would be cool to go see some of these. And unfortunately, I missed one, two, and three. So I had to see four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all in For those the of you theater. who can't see Zach's face, yeah. it's just overcome <laughs> it with it, disgust. It says it all. It says it, it all. says it all. Which, you know, four was really good. And then I was watching five. I was like, Ugh. Little boring. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I was like, every one of these movies has something good about them. Then I was watching six. I was like, this is every every one of them has something good about them. Two hours of bad movie and ten minutes of awesome. And then don't touch my godson. That's right. And then and then Dumbledore dies. And then seven. I was really just seven. I was having a hard time. But then you get to. I finally understood. Why there was a group of people who were losing their minds over the eighth movie. One, I get it. It's the end of a chapter. But David Yates is a genius. He made you sit through three boring movies (laughs) and then he gave you some mediocre action. He's like, see, isn't this the best one? And you were all like, yeah, I just marathoned the whole series. And man, was I bored for the past 12 hours with those last three movies. This is fun. Uh, it's true. It's true. I think <laughs> so. You kind of breezed over six there, and I want to point out. You know, we're we're discussing the theme of loyalty and friendship, and I think one of the strongest examples of this is Dumbledore and Harry. I think. Ooh. I think and I know this is. I know this is controversial. <laughs> Let me flip down to my Dumbledore notes. Well, absolutely, <laughs> but in the in the context of here's everything we know at face value, Dumbledore's loyalty. For Harry and Harry's loyalty for Dumbledore during that like final scene, we don't have the luxury of all of the behind the scenes things happening yet. You know, we don't know why Snape is doing what he's doing. We think he's bad. We don't know any of this. And the way Harry stands up to Snape when he comes back to Hogwarts for the first time. How dare you stand where he stood? So powerful. It's like that is powerful. it is it is a great yeah. it's a great moment. His loyalty to Dumbledore the whole time he's hearing from Rita Skeeter. She wrote this tell all book, you know, and they're slandering Dumbledore and he doesn't believe it. You know, he has this unbreakable loyalty to Dumbledore. I think that's powerful. I think there I think there is there's great things about Harry and Dumbledore's relationship. Say what you want about the way Dumbledore handled Harry and his development. I think I read that differently as an adult, though, which is something cool about the text, because as a kid, I think I gravitated more to the power and the com- how compelling loyalty is. Whereas an adult, I see it more as a mark of Harry's emotional immaturity that he's mm. not able to see Dumbledore as a three dimensional person. Dumbledore, yeah. because he was raised to knowing him one way, is always going to be one kind of person for him. And right. Right. He's not able to see the full picture about the man he was, which is equally compelling in a different light, but I think it does muddy the waters of what how, what their relationship really was, especially because of all the behind the scenes stuff that you're referencing. Yeah, their, their relationship was always shepherd and uh, and sheep. It was always being led to the slaughter. And it's it's difficult to view that relationship positively when you know that. I think it's great that we found out about those things when we did and not sooner. I think it would have been hard to finish the series or look at it the same way if we had known like this is Harry's purpose and this is why Dumbledore has been protecting him and all of these things would have been jaded by that information. Well, while we're talking about loyalty, I want to talk about Snape. Yes. Please do. One of the things more and again, more so in the movie, the book, I think, does a better job at telling Snape's story. I don't care for how the movie makes it like, see, every time you thought that Snape was going too far with the way he was treating Harry, you were wrong. I was like, (laughs) no, like he's a sympathetic character. And I understand that, you know, he's tragic. But at the same time, you can't abuse children. Yeah. yeah. Not to mention he served Voldemort, you know, right. for years, like not just as a double agent, but he also right. served him. And the only reason he is serving Dumbledore is because of his love for 
Harry's mother, Lily, and love is a is a strong, kind word for what that you know what I mean. Like preoccupation, it's obsession, with. yeah, like yeah, obsession. She did not reciprocate those feelings. I think they had a friendship at best, maybe. Right. You know, we're only getting Snape's side of that. Uh, what right. we do know is Snape abuses her her son because right. he had the hots for a girl that he never ended up with. I think you could go multiple ways with that. I think what we are seeing. When all of this, all of the information, when Harry, you know, views Snape's memories in the in the pensive, I think we're seeing something more beautiful than than like you're giving it credit for. I think there's something there. It's tragic for him, but I'm not saying it justifies his behavior. No, I don't. I don't think so either. I think he absolutely is a terrible teacher and probably shouldn't be an educator because of the way he treats children. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think his loyalty for Lily, I think it's a little more layered and nuanced. Can I tell you why I think it really bothers me more so than the way it's portrayed in the movie? Because I agree that it's portrayed beautifully in the movie. Like, I would agree with that. I think what bothers me most about it, though, is like the I think it does send out a problematic message. It teaches something, I think, a little bit toxic to to young boys. I really think it, it teaches to pine over women and i don't think what i see depicted is loving yeah Uh, you know i just i don't think that's what that is and i think it is potentially i won't go as far as dangerous but it is potentially problematic to romanticize unrequited feelings of affection that span several decades when someone else is married. I think that is a potentially dangerous message to send to young children. Yeah, I agree. And I also, side note, because whenever I say to people that I have issues with the Snape, people come at me and they think that me saying that I have issues with the character of Snape is me saying that Alan Rickman is bad in these movies. No, that he's is not what I'm saying. He is fantastic. One of the best parts. In these easily. Films. One of the best parts. He gives an amazing performance. Folks, we're talking about the character. <laughs> and again, like while we're on it, of the main actors, I have a hard time thinking of just an outright terrible performance. I think across the board, it, this, these are films filled with just terrific, terrific performances. Harry can be stubborn and a rule breaker at times. What do these films have to say about our relationships with authority figures? Well, that's one of the things I love about the series. It repeatedly emphasizes the message that those in authority are not always right. Your yeah, teachers right. are not always correct. Your government is not always correct. You know, I, it's epitomized, I think, with a like a Dolores Umbridge kind of character who abuses her authority to make others, I think, feel small. And when the students rebel against her, it isn't like they're being bad or immoral. It's good. Like, it, it's like civil disobedience. I don't know. I think that's a healthy lesson for kids to learn. And I think Harry Potter taught that to me pretty well as a kid. Yeah, I think about Neville in the first movie when he gets like those last 10 points for standing up to his friends and doing what's what's right, which I kind of feel like is the message of Harry Potter. The thing is, is Harry seems in the movies seems a little unteachable, like you can't tell Harry anything ever, and it's never an issue for him. Nobody can ever tell Harry anything. Do you want to cite some examples there? I feel like you're making a pretty bold claim. Like every time in in the film when they go, Harry, don't. Don't do this thing. Don't go looking for this. Harry, I don't want you to go looking for Sirius Black. Harry, I don't want you to go knocking around in the Chamber of Secrets. Harry, stop doing this. Harry, go home. Harry, no. And he always does. And he's always in the right, which, like you were saying, Mitch, it does, you know, lend to people in authority aren't always correct. But I think it makes it seem like People in authority are always wrong. I'm going to push back. I'm going to push back. He's not always right. He misjudges Snape consistently. Yes, that was. Yes, exactly. He's I think always. Wrong I think we him. see we see like a big one when he is convinced that Malfoy has joined the, the, the Death Eaters and he knows mm-hmm. that uh, Snape has questioned him and Lupin sure, more than once sure. tries to explain to him 
Dumbledore trusts Snape. Therefore, I trust Snape. Therefore, you should trust Snape. He is loyal to Dumbledore. He's loyal to us. Harry goes off on his own, ends up being wrong about him. Ultimately, misjudges him, probably makes decisions based on his misjudgment. I think that's a big one. That's a huge one. I think all the other ones like have turned out like, like, you know, yes, Sirius Black didn't didn't actually end up being the killer. Like he was he was framed like all these other things like. Those turned out good for Harry. You know, those were those were he was right. The whole plot of Order of the Phoenix is Harry being wrong about trusting his impulses. He doesn't listen to Snape. He lets Voldemort in. Guess what? He's tricked like a moron. Yeah, Uh, that's true. That's true. And 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 serious dies. Serious kills. Yeah, I I guess. I guess that's right because of it. Yeah. Sure, sure. I, I just think, you know, if, if an adult was grabbing me by the neck and slamming my head into desks, I would also be like, I'm not, I'm not listening to this guy. Because well, yeah, he's a kid. And I, right. I, I like that about it. No, I, I guess when I when I think about it more, you're right. It's more so in like those earlier films. And I've joked about why don't they just kick Harry out of school as he's endangering every other member of the student body. I think Snape has like a old school Catholic nun approach to <laughs> education. I think this is something very indicative. But yeah. Father Snape. <laughs> yes, continue. <laughs> I think there's something though consistent with like that's how like that was okay. 1950s before like things like that, getting a, like kind of pushy with kids and like slightly aggressive public humiliation, sarcasm, like those things were OK. You know, your father was a swine. Yeah, it that feels more like okay. spare the rod and spoil a child who looks like the like James Potter. That's what it is to me. Like you look like the kid who bullied me in high school. So I'm took gonna... the woman I liked. Yeah. Oh, that's I'm... that's why he doesn't like Harry for sure. That's a hundred percent what it is. But Hermione too. It's a good point because like he's like you're a know it all like right in front of everyone. Yeah. Right. Like it's yeah. It's public mm. shaming. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with right. It. It's almost like he's a bad guy. Who <laughs> we should trust? Is he good? I don't know. He could be bad. He could be good. <laughs> I think about authority figures and one of the things i like is i think it's easy to point to this movie and say every authority figure in harry's life gets the axe gets killed off at some point or everyone that he trusts gets killed at some point you know what i mean you know why the 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 big one everyone around harry dies right right but then i think you have your hagrids you have your mcgonagall's Mm -hmm. that's really it but I think I think the movie is uh, the movies are also saying it's not just these super smart wizards like you can also learn from the groundskeeper, too. Yeah, that's I think a good point. I think this is Harry's story and your Sirius's and your Dumbledore's are prohibiting Harry from growing up and reaching his potential. Mm. Serious? Yeah. Yeah. Serious. Absolutely. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. I think like they the are cool. They, he's the cool godfather, right? Yeah. He's keeping him from growing up. And yeah, they are. Cru- yeah. They're, yeah, they're all crutches in Harry's life, you know, that he can lean on. And, and he's he's never going to become that person who walks into the woods to die until he has to do all this on his own. I think serious. It's less. Sure, it's sure. I, we're coming from the book's perspective. It's less right, apparent right. in the movies and the movies. Yes, he is yes. more. Gary Oldman, I think, is more guiding and less less of a troublemaker maybe right right i think that's more prevalent in the books but yeah i i agree that harry has to come into his own as a man the biggest example of that is dumbledore dies at the end of the sixth book and the seventh book is all about harry figuring all this out dumbledore's left very little instruction he has to do most of the legwork on his own mm-hmm. and but a lot of it's because dumbledore doesn't have all of the information, like he doesn't know a lot of these yeah. things. He he has suspicions, but Harry really has to suss out the breadth of the Horcrux situation and right. all of that on his own. That's one of my favorite elements, The because I feel like as a reader, I was thinking Dumbledore has some master plan that we're going to become yeah. privy to eventually. Like he has, he's always had all the answers. Right. And what you just said is so true. Harry has to find the answers uh, mm-hmm. within himself. Yeah, the way they handled Dumbledore in the seventh book is it was it was very hard. 
because we, you know, we're coming to terms with all these things about Dumbledore. You know, he had a life before he was the headmaster at Hogwarts, and he was an arrogant, young, power-hungry. Yeah, he sought power. Man, he, at one point, not good to and his family. Yeah, yeah, all these things are, are true of this, you know, wonderful man. This, this incredibly wise man. But that's a beautiful lesson. I think that people can change. Yes. Dumbledore changes and the world gets more complicated as we age, but that doesn't right. make it any less beautiful. And it doesn't make Dumbledore, the good elements of who he became any less real. So did the movies do the books justice? Could you still watch the movies without having read the books and have a satisfying experience? So, again, I watched all the movies and didn't read the books for years until last year when you guys told me to read the books. And I read the books and they're great and they make the movies better. Yep. I think you can watch the Harry Potter movies without reading the books and they're still good. They're just not as good. They're not as full. Or as good. I'll say they're not as good. I don't yeah. think that they're as inventive. I don't think that they're as creative. And of course, like when you get into movies, you have things like budget, cameras, special effects. With a book, you can do whatever you want. If you have a great imagination like J.K. Rowling, I'm not taking anything mm -hmm. away from her. She was a brilliant writer. She had such a unique and cool voice and just a really great way of making you feel like you're there. So I think the books are far superior to the movies, but I also think that the movies in their own right are also very good. I think this is the challenge of adapting any book series. An 800 page book is always going to have more depth and nuance than a two hour movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It just yeah. always is. I think the question to ask is, do the movies capture the feeling or the truths that the books impart? And I guess my answer is some do and some don't. Yes. I think I've made it very clear in the past that I feel like the David Yates movies really don't uh, for yeah. the most part. The, the last one's good, but even that, I feel like it definitely loses the spirit of the franchise. So, yeah, if we're comparing the two, it's it's difficult for sure. Right. Like, like six as a book has a lot of really cool stuff in it that I'm down to read. I'm down to get into the lore. Don't want to see it in a movie. Yeah, there's also a lot of moments, I think, in the movies that are just not explained because they're in the books. Like right. I, I was rewatching and there's that fragment of the mirror in seven uh, Dumbledore's mirror. Uh, yeah. And it's kind of just glossed over. And I'm like, oh, this is way more significant in the book. And there's a reason that we're getting that shot. But then I'll explain it in the movie. So I'm like, what are we doing? Why did you even show that? You know what I mean? Right. I think they're like, we have to figure out a way to get Dobby over to Harry. <laughs> How does he know he's there? Mm -hmm. What are we going to do? I started out with the movies and I think I would have had a perfectly enjoyable experience had I never picked the books up. I think I would have been able to really throw myself into just being OK with whatever I saw on screen. I think having read the books, it makes me more critical of the movies. And in the same breath, it makes it makes the picture fuller, you know, because I know more. I'm able to kind of cut the movies a break a little bit like I know what's happening here. So I don't you know, I don't need all of the explanation. So like personally, I think they work really well together in harmony. I think we do see some really cool things. I think that's for me when I'm reading the books, I'm like, wow, I wonder how that would look on the screen. Right. We also don't see a lot of things that we should have seen. You know, there's a whole battle that was left out at the end of the sixth, sixth book, the sixth book. Yeah, because yeah. the last thing that movie needed was a cool battle. <laughs> the the original battle of Hogwarts. And I think the movie producers were worried that we would get too battle weary or something. But I think we yeah, we miss we miss an opportunity there. I'm sure I could sit here and think of some other things. But I do say the picture is more complete. The painting is more beautiful. The story is fuller because I have seen the movies and read the books. Your Honor, I'd like to recall a comment that Mitch has made on many occasions. You've frequently said that you feel like Seven should have been one movie. Yeah. Do you still stand by that? Yeah, easily, easily. 
The seventh movie is so slowly paced. Yes. And this is the difficult thing, right? With any adaptation. What do you leave on the cutting room floor? And what do you, you know, what do you include? Because... In one respect, the seventh movie, I think, could have been much more affecting if some of those scenes in the woods were treated more closely to the book. Like there's an infamous scene in the seventh movie where Ron shouts at Harry, you have no parents. And they get into a big fight out of nowhere in the movie. Right. right? It's it's not portrayed with nuance. Where in the book, it's like Harry makes a flip comment about Ginny, who's potentially in danger. It's a lot more going on. That gives us clues of why those yeah. scenes would be as serious. So there's two directions. You can stretch it out even more and give us more nuance. Or what I think they should have done is just slice and dice and really get to the heart of that final story. And I think the heart of the last movie is really about Harry's journey from he has two roads he can walk. The yeah. Deathly Hallows road of power to defeat his enemy or the Horcrux road of self-sacrifice. And I yeah. think you can portray that in two hours without all the details that we got in the seventh and eighth movie. So, yeah, I absolutely think that could have been cut down. I feel like the last movie turns into a gratuitous battle movie. I think we see just like, you know, Mitch, we were chatting the other night, the quick shot of uh, Mrs. Weasley and Bellatrix Lestrange, the little uh, duel, their quick uh, duel. It was just a little too much. And uh, to comment on your Ron and Harry's fight, I feel like they also put a lot of weight in the way you act when you're wearing the Horcrux. Right. You know, um, Harry flips out on Hermione at one point. She's like, take, take it off. Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. He gets mad. Take off the Horcrux. It's like the ring of power. Exactly. Totally leaning into the one ring there. But I think they're setting up that next scene where Ron flips out on Harry and storms off. Yeah, I just think it. When he says, you know, your your parents are dead, like it's a betrayal of the idea that Harry is a part of Ron's family. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and that's much more powerfully demonstrated, I think, when it isn't a magical horcrux making Ron be a jerk. It's yep. Uh, yep. little comments along the road. The, here's the challenge in any adaptation from a book. There's nothing more emotionally intimate than reading a book, right? You mm. see someone's thoughts. That's a struggle I think the Harry Potter movies have one through eight, not just an eight. Like the characterization of Harry is completely different from the book to the movie. Harry, to me as a character, feels much more smoothed out, much more of a a heroic figure. Where in the book, he's a moody teenager. He treats Mm -hmm. Hermione poorly sometimes. So I think that's the challenge always with any adaptation. People just become less nuanced and more two-dimensional. I think that you make a good point. Harry is not your John McClane heroic character. He absolutely is not. He is the furthest thing from that. And they really spice that up in the movies because that's what people want to see. They want to see a hero. They want to see a powerful person. He's amazing. But in reality, Harry is an average wizard who has help from friends, who has extraordinary circumstances kind of schlepped on him. Mm-hmm. And he just happens to be, let's take this, for instance, something that's breezed over in the movie. There were actually two possible choices for the chosen one. Harry is only the chosen one because Voldemort decided Harry was the chosen one. Right. It could have been, it could have Neville. easily been Neville. It could have mm-hmm. been Neville. That is something that is never really mentioned in, in the movies. No. All, the only thing the prophecy said was that the boy was born at the end of July, right? Is it end of July or end of August? Yeah. Something, whatever yeah. they in the books, they say, you know, and so there were there were two possible kids. Voldemort only knew about one, Harry. He attacks mm-hmm. the Potters and then we end up where we that end up. That cements the yeah, that that cements it in place. The prophecy was fluid before. Now it's yes. Harry's. He was not born to be this heroic person he was like it was an accident all of these things they're they're kind of accidents all these great things that harry does and there is just something lost in that translation between book and movie there's so many omissions hermione's how self civil rights group oh yeah all the stuff with the marauders Cho's relationship jenny's relationship peter pettigrew like he has a whole redemption arc in the books yeah the dursleys are sympathetic in the books and the later ones that mm-hmm. is honestly one of my favorite scenes between dudley and harry at the beginning yes. of the seventh mm-hmm. book and mm-hmm. it is 
just terrible in the movie. You know, it's yeah. like they, they don't even show anything. <sighs> spew, right? Her civil rights group is spew, isn't it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was trying to th- I was trying to think of that when you said that. Terribly named. Yeah, a little bit. But it's it's I love those elements because like we find out it's the house elves who serve those fantastic beasts uh, yep. in the Great Hall. So the world's more complicated now. All of the same hierarchy and injustice of the muggle world exists in the wizarding world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Harry's growing up, you know, as a kid, it's all magic. And as an adult, you see the world the way it is. So right. I like that element. I wish there were more in the movies. Well, in a post-Deathly Hallows world, we have received a lot of uh, extra information from J.K. Rowling and kind of the Potterverse. What's your thoughts on on some of the late additions to the, the Harry Potter canon? Do you feel like it all belongs? or If I had a magical genie who could grant me three wishes. <laughs> Named Will Smith. <laughs> Two of those wishes would be stop. J.K. Rowling from tweeting, please. I'd like to say something to people who Harry Potter is your Star Wars. Star Wars fans, we've we've been there. We had a great trilogy and then the creator of that great trilogy came back and gave us a terrible trilogy and added a bunch of really, really stupid stuff to our canon. And it's frustrating to live with it now. It's annoying and we have to live with it. But here's what I'll say. The original trilogy will always be there. And that's what I say to you, Harry Potter fans, as annoying as the stuff J.K. Rowling, you know, is tweeting about and saying as annoying as all that is. And as bad as these Fantastic Beast movies are, you will still always have the Harry Potter books. You will always have the Harry Potter movies. So hang in there. It'll be over soon. <laughs> or, or, or will it? When, 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 when she until, dies? Like, what until are you saying? someone else comes in and picks up the... Okay, here's, here's my J. thing. J. The comparison between George Lucas and J.K. Rowling. George Lucas made, yes, an amazing trilogy. And he decided, hey, I have more to say. Yeah, so he sure. went back to the drawing board. And they weren't good. Fine. But he made three more movies. J.K. Rowling is like, hey, I have more to say. So she picks up her cell phone yes. and tweets. Yes. yes, it doesn't put in the work. Yeah. To I me, agree. To me, I'm like, if you have more to say, write an eighth book. Like, you're allowed to do that. Yeah. You know, you could. Well, she's writing those Stop movies. writing well, so. adult thrillers that are not <laughs> selling and write another Harry Potter. I got to tell you, something that would sell, yes, is another Harry Potter book. That would sell. And I think. You have things to say. People have given you ideas. They're throwing them at you. I respect George Lucas, even though he he did something that was not great because he put his money where his mouth is. That's he went what back it and, is. Right. He That's went back and said, right. I'm going to make I'm going to make the movies. And I don't respect what J.K. Rowling is doing, which is half in, yes. half out. Someone else wrote it for me. Sure, I'll put my name on it kind of stuff. If you want the series to continue, I agree, Brandon. Keep doing it. Keep keep writing it, you know? Don't just cast a check. And that's funny because I don't think that's her motive. No. No. No, because she gives so much to charity. I don't think she just wants more money. But I don't don't know. Is she just done writing? She feels like I can't do these characters anymore. Why, Why does she want the world to continue without her at the helm? Yeah. Hard to let go. Yeah, I guess. Can I just like report some of the things she said in her tweets? Go for it, please. The obvious one, the first one, Dumbledore's gay, right? Now, when, now do you remember when that was? Because that's my first. Like 2007. That's my I first was, recollection of her going rogue, kind of. I was like a freshman in high school. I remember <laughs> this being a big. No, it was a big topic of discussion. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just like how Brennan said going rogue. Yes. Well, you know. Because I mean. Yeah, the, the world just freaked out. I'll say now, like in the 2019 perspective as an adult, I'm like, this is incredibly pandering yeah. uh, to a community yes. without having to actually be supportive by writing a gay character. Right. You yeah. could have written the character to be gay, but you chose. Yeah, it's very, by the way, Dumbledore was gay the whole time. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, I, I'm an ally. Like, I'm not <laughs> like, I, I don't appreciate that. It's insulting. Uh, that was one. Hagrid can't produce a Patronus. What's the next one? Uh, who, who cares? To my, I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking, who cares? 
Who's losing sleep over, wait a minute, what does Hagrid's Patronus look like? Lumberjack? Probably like thousands. Actually, (laughs) now that you say that, that's exactly why people want to know, because he works with so many animals. That's exactly why they want to know. Use your imagination, people. Keep going, keep going. Fred was born before George. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) Hermione should have ended up with Harry. That was the big one. That's a big one. That's a big one. That's actually probably the second biggest behind that one. uh, That one bothers me. Uh, Yeah. Once you release the content, it's not yours anymore. Right. It's Mm -hmm. done. Like it's it's in cement. You know what I mean? It belongs to us now. Now, this was Uh the this was included in the discussion where Ron would have had to end up in some type of anger management. I remember vaguely something included in that. Do you not know what I'm talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. I remember reading an article about how I think it was including the tweet here. Uh, Hermione should have ended up with Harry and then how Ron was going to end up in like an anger management or they were going to end up in like um, marriage counseling, something to that Jeez, effect. Louise. Yeah. Why do we have to, why do we Perfect. have to poke the balloon and, and right. let all the magic out? Like, I, right. I hate that. Yeah. I really dislike the, the play they wrote. I can't, I read it. I can't remember the name. Cursed Child. The Cursed yeah, Child. I, I really dislike that because uh, it's like, hey, what if Harry Potter were a terrible father? Like, who wants that? Who's the audience for this? Hmm. Oh, boy. Albus Severus Potter. Two bad men, he named her. <laughs> Plus, it's a bad name, so... Congrats. Yeah. Oh. I loved when terrifying Daniel Radcliffe said the kid's name in the movie. I was like, that was very unnatural. <laughs> I feel like he had like cotton balls in his mouth when he was saying that too. It was like the oddest. I wish. <laughs> I'm 30. This is how we talk. I'm, I'm, 30, I'm 30, but I look 60. I look like death. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I did not mean that people who are 60 look like death. Let's. No, I but do. he does. Yes. No, oh. no, the makeup is no. terrible. Ginny looks like on death's door. She's yeah. knocking. Yeah, she's ready to leave this earth. And Ron looks like he has got his eye on that snack cart. <laughs> uh, He's not looking at his kids on the train. He's just like, is the trolley going by? <laughs> Ron has joined a wizarding bowling league at this point. Oh, here we go. <laughs> He's got the here we go. He does like to partake in a few butter beers in the evening. Hi, can I have one ticket for Fantastic Beast 3 Hogsmeade's Drift? Mitchell Dupree, the boy who lived, come to die. I'm just trying to buy a ticket. How bad can another JK Rowling project be? Is this JK Rowling's Twitter? What is she saying? How many Fantastic Beast movies can there possibly be? Why is she ruining her own lore? Uh, I'll tweet at her. You can't help her, Mitch. You wonderful boy. Uh, please don't call me that. Fine. Let us walk. Brandon. What is this? It's the closing. What did you think? No, no, I mean J.K. Rowling's rambling. Something beyond either of our help. A part of her career that will stay here and die. This is, as they say, your party. I expect you now realize that you and Rowling have been connected by something other than fate. Since the first time that you picked up a Harry Potter book all those years ago. So then it's true then, sir. A part of her work lives within me? It did. It's almost been destroyed by none other than Rowling herself. I have to keep supporting her work with blindness, don't I? Oh, that's up to you. I have a choice? Oh, yes. You're in a theater. Rowling's work inspired you as a youngster, and when those movies were released with a quality of excellence, that felt like a reward, didn't it? You literally grew up with these characters, this story, this world. Rowling put so much care and love into Harry Potter, and no one can deny that. Rowling is still writing those Fantastic Beast movies. True. And she still has a Twitter account. 
Yes. And I can't do anything about it. I always pride myself on my ability to turn a phrase. Words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, an almost inexhaustible source of magic, capable of inflicting injury and remedies. But I would in this case amend my original statement to this. Don't pity Harry Potter. You'll always have that, and nothing can touch it. Don't give your money to things that you don't like. You're right. I can see literally anything else. Excuse me, sir. You, you zoned out there for a second. Can I help you? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Can I get one ticket for Fantastic... You know what? No. Can I have one ticket for Terminator Dark Fate? Oh my gosh, you don't get it, do you? magical thank you for listening to our episode on harry potter if you want to share your thoughts suggest future episodes or tell us what we missed leave us a comment on facebook twitter or instagram we can be found at the is it really podcast and don't forget to subscribe on itunes stitcher spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and if you want to make our day please give a rating and review we'd really appreciate it i'm mitch dupree reminding you it's leviosa not leviosa see you next time